Are you struggling to get your project off the ground? Is the term research a dirty word? Need help finding more resources? Hello, and welcome everybody to the Center for Nursing Inquiry podcast. I'm Nadine Rosenblum, your Nursing Inquiry Coordinator, and I'm here today with Maddie Whalen, our Evidence-Based Practice Coordinator. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Nadine. Um, we are talking again today about the appendices to the Johns Hopkins Evidence-Based Practice for Nurses and Healthcare Professionals Models and Guidelines, fourth edition. And because this fourth edition is a new update to the previous edition, part of what we're addressing with these, this series of podcasts is the updates and improvements to those appendices. And this time, I'm going to ask Maddie if she will talk with us about the non-research evidence appraisal tool, also known as Appendix F. So, hi there. (laughs) Um, Thanks for bringing me back on to talk about the changes that we made in the fourth edition of the book. So much of what we did was based on working with groups and um, hearing their feedback and trying to make things a little easier for them. So we're really happy about the changes. And of course, we're always looking for suggestions for our fifth edition. That's good to keep in mind. Okay, so um, the non-research evidence appraisal tool is um, kind of works together with the research evidence appraisal tool, except that now we're using it for non-research evidence. So tell us a little bit more about um, when we would use this particular tool. So we we would be using this tool during the evidence phase of the PET process for our ABP project. And so we are using this or the research evidence appraisal tool to determine the strength of our articles. And so it just as a reminder, a strength is a combination of the level of the article, so level one, two, three, four, or five, plus the quality of that article, so either high, good, or low. And that will let us know the overall strength, which gives us a good indication of what our next steps are in terms of creating recommendations and perhaps translating those to our practice setting. That's great. And so I can see here right at the very top of this tool, there's this one single question that says, does this evidence answer the EBP question? Yes, and this is the most important question on this tool as well as on Appendix E. Um, And the most important question is, does it answer your EVP question? If it does not, you do not need to do anything else. You can click the no box or check the no box, and then you're going to want to have decided as a team how you're going to track those articles that sort of made it through your whole screening process up to this point, but in a very careful assessment of them, they don't necessarily answer your question or meet your inclusion criteria, and so you're going to exclude them from your final summary and synthesis. So you're just going to just report back to the team that out of the articles you read, this is one of the ones that does not answer the question and you don't have to do anything else and you can save your very valuable time. That sounds like a good, good question to have right up top. And so once we've answered yes to this question, we're filling out this form, writing in the article title, the author, and some other important information right in the very front on top. But then there's a section that says complete after appraisal. Tell me more about that. Right, so this is an example of when it's really good to follow the directions. Um, And on the previous tools, this section, the study findings that help answer the EVP question, 
that was included on the bottom of every quality appraisal, depending on what level of article you had. However, we decided on this go round that it would be more convenient to have all of the, the findings that answer the EVP question and the other pertinent information like the authors, the titles, et cetera, um, on one page. So if you're only going to hold on to one page from your article appraisal, you can hold on to that first page. You're not having to leap through seven different pages to find out where that important information is. So we're sort of collating it all on that first page. And so it's all in one convenient place when you move on to your next step, which would be article summary. Okay, and in the article summary section, um, well, the article appraisal workflow, there are different kinds of evidence. Tell us a little bit more about this part. So in this part, we're trying to decide if our, we have already decided that our, or we have a good guess that our evidence is non-research, but within non-research, we have two different levels. We have level four, which is a clinical practice guideline or a consensus position statement, and then level five articles, which include literature reviews, integrative reviews, expert opinions, case reports, organizational experiences, as well as community standards. And so we're going to decide which one we think it is. And then if we look on the right-hand column, it's going to direct us to the appropriate section. So we, again, we can answer those yes or no questions like, like we had on our previous tool to determine the quality of the evidence once we've decided the level. Okay, so that's a lot of different levels. Well, not so many levels, but a lot of different parts within levels four and especially level five. Yeah. So um, can you talk to me a little bit more about the literature review or integrative review? How do I know what's what? Yeah, and that's a great question, and I think this trips people up a lot. So not only do we have literature reviews and integrative reviews, which are considered non-research evidence in level five, we also have systematic reviews, which are considered research evidence, and those are going to be, you're going to use our research evidence appraisal tool to appraise that. And so one of, one of the big differences to get us onto our um, non-research tool is that if the review includes non-research evidence, so for example, quality improvement, case reports, things like that, or really any of the other examples that are included on this tool, then it's going to fall into either the literature review or the integrative review bucket, and you're going to use this tool to appraise it versus a systematic review, which includes only research evidence, as well as has a replicable and rigorous search strategy and appraisal process. So you know that they were able to not only systematically screen the literature, but then determine the quality and base the recommendations on an unbiased search and evaluation. Wow, okay, so that's good to know. You're gonna use one tool or the other, depending on the kind of review you're looking at. All right. So how about expert opinion? So expert opinion can get a little tricky. Um, one of the things that you kind of that's different about expert opinion than some of the other things that we're going to do in the article appraisal process is you might actually might want to go to Google and look the person up. You can look them up in Google. You can look them up in Google Scholar. You can look them up in Scopus. Because unless you're really well-versed on the topic and the person that's writing the article is a really well-known expert that you just sort of know off the top of your head is considered an expert in the field, you might see an article by Jane Doe, and you don't necessarily know if Jane Doe is the expert on your particular topic or if they're just a random person who has happened to write a opinion piece on something. So it's important to go and look to see if that person, what their background is, what their, their position or their job is. Um, as well as how often they've been cited by others. So if you get an article that's been, a person who's been cited 
hundreds of times by other people, they're very likely considered an expert in the field versus someone who's sort of done a one-off article that's never been referenced by anybody else, and they don't necessarily have the credentials or position to be speaking from a point of authority. Okay, that's good to know. And sometimes it takes a little extra background research to find out about that expert and their opinion. Exactly. So yeah. on some of the articles, they will talk about the person's affiliation or maybe their um, their experience, but a lot of times it does take a little bit more looking. And I think people get a little nervous when they're moving sort of beyond the source material, beyond the article itself, but it's totally um, okay to do that in this situation. Mm-hmm. And the tool actually shows you um, how to determine how how much of an expert your expert opinion really is. Do they have relevant education and training, professional affiliations? So your tool really helps you to determine whether that person's expert opinion is worthy of <laughs> your review. Exactly. All right. Okay, great. So um, tell me more then about the next item here, their case reports. So a case report is usually based on a personal experience or professional experience that a clinician has had, and they're reporting about a specific patient or perhaps a specific circumstance that they witnessed. It's important to not get this confused with a case control study or other the word case used in a research connotation. So this is really nothing to do with research, but rather speaking about a specific uh, instance and giving information about it. So for example, in a lot of uh, my backgrounds in emergency nursing, and so in the Journal of Emergency Nursing, there is a case report section where a nurse will write about a very interesting or a very unusual patient that they had and sort of convey information about it, but it's not generating new knowledge, but rather just sort of reporting back about a specific professional experience. That sounds pretty interesting. It, yeah, it can definitely be a good way to sort of, um, it's like kind of when you have people ask you, oh, do you have any cool stories from being a nurse? A lot of times this is sort of that type of uh, report. So you have something very interesting happen that's worth sharing, especially for cases or conditions that are a little bit more rare so that people are more aware of them, but it isn't necessarily going to be able to drive practice change. That's good to know. Um So then there are two other categories left here in this article appraisal workflow level section, um, organizational experience and community standards. Tell me more about those. So organizational experience are people reporting back usually about a program evaluation and or a quality improvement project. And so much of the literature that we see in nursing is actually going to fall in this fall in this category, if not just level um, four or five in general, because a lot of nurses aren't um, in a lab doing bench research, but rather we're taking care of patients every single day. And so a lot of our clinical questions are going to be are going to drive EVPs that look at clinical scenarios. And again, a lot of that literature is based on firsthand experience, um, taking care of patients every day versus doing a well-controlled experiment. And so we see end up seeing usually a lot of quality improvement in the literature. And um, it's important to look at it in a very um, systematic way to determine if it is in fact quality improvement, because unfortunately, a lot of times the terminology associated with quality improvement in the literature is not always reflective of what they actually did. And so you have to look really closely at the method section of the paper to know if it is in fact quality improvement or if it's research. Um, keeping in mind that research is the generation of new knowledge that can be generalized, whereas quality improvement is really reporting out about a specific environment and the process that people use to improve a specific metric. Yes, and I can see here in um, on page six, 
D section, um, it actually does show you um, the formal QI method um, as maybe a PDSA or a Squire tool format or things like that. So those are good tips to determine that it's a quality improvement rather than research also. Yeah, and not to say that, I mean, there can be some amazing high quality, quality improvement projects done. And so we don't mean to say that they aren't something that's very valuable and can be very um, helpful when looking at changing practice. Um, they just aren't research, they're quality improvement. And there is a lot of continued confusion about the difference between those two. And unfortunately, a lot of that is driven by the confusing terminology that ends up getting published. So saying something like a randomized control quality improvement project is sort of a misnomer in that you can't have a quality improvement project that's also a randomized control trial because one of them is research and one of them is non-research. And so they're therefore mutually exclusive. Okay, well, that's good to know too. Um, we definitely want to just not want to discourage anyone from doing their quality improvement because it's definitely helpful to learn from and share. So, okay, so um, I can see in the article appraisal workflow section, you want to make sure to pay good attention to the skip logic because when you are looking at which kind of evidence your article is, it tells you where to go to do that evaluation and then once you've done all that, is that when you come back to the front and fill in that evidence level and quality rating? Right. So you've decided your level and then you have gone through and answered your yes or no questions. And then based on those yes or no questions, you're going to give your article a A, a B or a C. And it's really important to know if something is a C, because if it's considered a C, it's low enough quality that you're not going to have it move on to the subsequent steps of the EVP process. It's not considered strong enough to be able to influence practice change, and therefore you leave it off of your um, Appendix G, which is the next step of the article, um, the evidence appraisal process. So you have decided, determined your level and your quality, and then in that very top box that we talked about at the top of the podcast, um, you're going to put in the findings that answer the EVP question, and that's where you're going to put in a series of succinct statements that help your team know what that article said without having to actually go to the article itself. That looks like a really good spot for some helpful summary information. Yeah, and that's really where I think a lot of people like to tend to copy the abstract or sort of put in a ton of information. But this is really your opportunity to use your critical thinking to create succinct statements that help move the project forward versus regurgitating information from the article itself, which can really just cause more work for the whole team later down the line. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that having put those few succinct sentences in that spot are going to be helpful to us again a little bit later. Yes, spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, so is there anything else that we should know that's important about the non-research evidence appraisal tool that you want to tell us, Maddie? Um, just again, that we always recommend that you do EVP projects in teams. And so ideally, you have at least two, if not more, people reading an article. And there is a, a lot of circumstances under which two people will end up with two different answers. And it's usually that conversation that happens that it's a great opportunity for learning, but also to come to consensus. And so one person might point something out that the other person missed or vice versa. And you can usually pretty easily come to consensus about your level and your quality after having a conversation. 
So a lot of times it's good to sort of in isolation complete these tools and then come back together as a team and compare notes with the other people that read the same article to make sure that you have um, you've reached an agreement about the level and the quality. And that definitely leads also to the um, a more rigorous EVP article appraisal process. All right. Go team. Exactly. All right. Um, so is there anything else that we should know about these tools about this one in particular? Just remember that you can always reach out to your EVP team as well as us at the Center for Nursing Inquiry. We are always happy to weigh in about an article or if you have any questions about how to fill it out or the tools itself, we are always here to help. And I want to let you know that all of these tools, all of the appendices are available on the Center for Nursing Inquiry website. We have an intranet website in hopkinsmedicine.org in the nursing area where uh, you can Google us. Just Google Center for Nursing Inquiry, or you can email nursinginquiry at jhmi.edu. Thanks for talking with me today, Maddie, about Appendix F. Bye.